KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. My third year at Penn, Princeton was dominating the league at the time, and they had beat us one time by close to 50 points at the pleasure. We had put that score as our locker room code that following year. Every time they had to get in their locker room, they had to put the score of that game. We've done a lot of little things like that to get to the top. And our guest this week, University of Pennsylvania women's basketball coach Mike McLaughlin has turned the Quakers into a perennial Ivy Power. And coach, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So I'm researching you. We've known each other for years, but it, it just struck me. This will be your 11th season at Penn. That doesn't seem possible. Does it seem possible to you? It doesn't. It's moved so quickly. I, I can remember the day that I, I got the opportunity to go to Penn and how excited I was. And um where I look, it's 11 years later, and a lot of things have happened in between, and uh, it's just an unbelievable place to be, and I'm just proud to be there. So you're a local kid, Father Judge High School. What's your first basketball memory growing up? You know what, probably when I was younger, just the, the love and the passion for the sport, my dad out in the driveway or the, playing basketball with me, the little things that I remember are the things that excite me every day. You know, I, I my dad's still passionate about coming to all the games here at Penn, and been a vital part of you know just watching him in the stands have been really important to me just days like that my mom and dad at the game um just just you know that's where I many of my friends developed my friendships from a lot of people and uh it's just something that I was just blessed with and the passion for it and and the skill set to continue to do it so you play growing up uh you end up going to college at Holy Family when did as you're playing growing up, did you always kind of figure that even if you didn't say it outwardly that you kind of knew, you know what, I'm good enough to kind of take this further than most people? Yeah, I think uh, it's such a drive. You know, I always had something to prove. You know, I had a lot of success in the sport. I had a few setbacks in high school where I spent a lot of time injured and wasn't able to fulfill what I wanted. Um, so I kept just continued to elevate. I was I, I had a lot to prove. I was fortunate when I went into college that I had that chip on my shoulder per se and I just was driven um, and just continued to get better and better. And I knew at some point, I was hoping at some point everything would connect, and I was fortunate that it did. So you go to Holy Family. Was the plan always to stay in the Philadelphia area? You know, I think you go where your options are. You know, as I said, I had I had limited options because I was, I was injured. And, um, you know, I went to a school that was the perfect fit for me at the time and with one of the greatest coaches, Dan Williams, that I could ask for. You know, and, and then from there, I, you know, as I said, I was excited to, to get this opportunity. I made the most of it. And uh, it just happened to be local, but it's, it wasn't the plan. It was just the opportunity that was given to me. So your numbers at Holy Family, I think you're still in the top 10 in points, top three in assists. You shot the three 58%. That's absurd. I mean, is that just years and years of yeah. working on it? I mean, th- it was just a direct result of a lot of hard work. I mean, when you shoot a thousand shots a day for almost twelve straight years, I think good things will happen. I try to message my players now to that. You know, just just continue to work and work and work. That's what happened. And uh, you know, I shot the ball well. I had great teammates. I had some space to get open. You know, we had a lot of pieces there to make that work. But it was a direct result of a ton of work I put into the game. So you're playing in college. You're having a ton of success. Is your plan? to 
pursue professionally because I, your your professional career has fascinated mm. me since I found out about it. As you end up playing for the Washington Generals, the team that plays the Harlem Globetrotters on the road, was pro basketball always something you wanted to pursue? In- you know, I think that's every kid's dream. It was certainly my dream. Uh, I just wanted to take the sport as far as it would allow me to go. I, um, it just was something that I wanted to do. Whatever the end result of the highest level I could get to is what I was uh, aspiring to do. I was just really fortunate. I had success. I was in the right spot at the right time. The Washington General Scout had saw me play. He gave me an opportunity of a lifetime it gave me a chance to to play at the highest level I could play at on the biggest stage that I would possibly ever dream of playing on. And um, it was just an incredible opportunity. And I'm blessed today to, to have that. I, I We're having this conversation, and I've been far removed from playing that game because it just inspired myself, but a lot of people around me as well. Were you familiar with what the Washington Generals were about before they contacted you, or was it you kind of knew in a vague sense? I, I knew in a vague sense. You know, this is going back in a time where the Globetrotters had cartoons and they had uh, commercials all the time, and I, I knew it from that sense. I only knew from what I saw on television and, and what I've but I, I really didn't know. I, I, I was learning as I was getting the opportunity, and um, it quickly became a part of my life that, that I'm blessed to be able to, to do, but was able to do, I should say. And um, But no, I just learned as I went on, and, and that's how the, the whole thing developed for me. So this is early 90s, right, that you're, yes. you're doing this? Yes. So what is it like? Because it's a fascinating dynamic. It's a It's a giant stage, but... Your basic job is to be the foil for the Globetrotters to do their thing, but you're still playing basketball. How hard was it to kind of put all the pieces of that puzzle together? You know, it wasn't hard for me. You know, it was, again, it, when you love to do what you're doing and you've now reached a, you know, a level that you've only aspired and dreamed of, I was so happy every day to be out there, regardless of where we were. My first trip was to Russia. I'm a young 23-year-old, just got out of college with not a ton of experience in travel, and that was the opportunity I got. It just became part of what I did. You know, we played a lot of set basketball where obviously uh, certain things were allowed to happen, and then we had some free play. So I enjoyed both of them, um, but it was something we did every day. We played every day. We traveled every day, and it it was a lifetime experience. You are one of the most competitive people I know, and as wonderful as the experience is, how difficult was it to have everything stacked where the plan is for you to lose? I can't say it was easy. There was times where the scores were really close. It was late in the game, and we would have to go through what they call a ream at the time, where we had to allow them to go through a weave, and obviously the end result was them scoring a basket. There was times that we were in that circle going around with them that we were having some choice words for each other because we wanted to play it out. Um, But it was part of our responsibility just to entertain the fans. It wasn't our job to entertain the fans. Our job was to compete when it was allowed to be played and to be cooperative when it wasn't. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, I can't say it wasn't frustrated, but it just became part of what we did. And uh, like our coach said, we can win a lot of ways out there and uh, being professionals every day and interacting with the fans. And, you know, we won a lot of ways. It's just the result sometimes, uh, it it was difficult. Did you, do you remember any where you came close and you thought, 
we might shock oh, the world remember, here. I can remember. I can remember multiple times. We were we were in Canada one time, and I and we had an opportunity, and um, it came down to the very last second, and uh, we had a shot. It was the only time we had the ball last and had a chance to win, and uh, they were grabbing and holding, and uh, it, you know they ended up winning the game, but we had a chance down one with the ball at the end. I've never seen that happen. Uh, but we were in a lot of tie games with a minute to go. And um, like I said, when they called one of the reams, there was uh, some choice words, but uh, it was a, it was part of it. <laughs> so you mentioned Russia. I think if I read correctly, and we've talked about this, uh, you traveled more than 50 countries, right? Yeah, I was fortunate. We, we did 50 countries when I was there. I, I did a, uh, you know, Red Klotz, who was the owner that gave me the opportunity, um, you know, he asked me to, the day I signed, to have something that you would remember everything. So I have a postcard from every city, state, and country I've ever been. I have a, a book at home with well over a thousand where I dated them on the back. Um, so we had 50 countries. Um, you know, uh, it was just from all parts of the world. Some places we went back two and three times. Um, it was it was a dream come true. What are, so you mentioned Russia because I think you told me one time before when we talked, like you remember waking up and looking out the window and there's Red Square and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, my very first trip, a young 23-year-old. Again, I'm from Northeast Philadelphia. I played Division Two basketball. There wasn't a ton of travel. And here I am 24 hours later after leaving uh, JFK Airport, flying to Moscow, check into a hotel. I look out and I'm over Red Square. That's how close we were. Uh, this is when Gorbachev was in power. Um, I only know again vaguely what what that all meant Mm -hmm. um it was it was eye-opening it was scary it was fun i think every adjective to describe nerves and unsettled and stressed and you got to remember i these players are the ones i saw on television and um that were true professionals and i was also trying to just fit in at the time and uh it was it was an unbelievable experience what are some of the other places that you know, when you think back to that time, that just jump out to you? You know, we did a lot of, we did from, you know, third world countries that, you know, we, we did islands, you know, we did the Canary Islands. We, we probably did six of the islands. Um, you know, we spent multiple times in Paris and Barcelona, um, you know, some of the best sites in, in South America. We were in Argentina, Peru, Ecuador, all places that no one would, you know, I would never went to. Um, and now I'm able to they look back on that and sometimes I'm on a plane myself and I just go through the map and it's unbelievable when I look at certain things that I've touched many of them and all that because of the opportunity that I was given. So three years, did the travel ever become, <clears throat> I don't want to say mundane, but do you ever look back and you're like, oh yeah, Peru, okay. And then Wednesday we're in our, like where it became a point where it was just life and you know. It, it, w- it was at times Complete. It was really challenging. You know, fatigue kicked in. I remember being in South America and, you know, we would play places and have to fly literally three weeks in a row to the next destination. That was fatigue. It was challenging. But for me, again, my eyes were wide open and um, every day was really cool for me. And uh, but there was there was points that was challenging. There was no doubt about it. But it was it was something that um, at the time I just was young. I was energized. I was just proud to be out there. And I, like I said from the beginning, I I reached a pinnacle of what this of this sport could give me at the time. And uh, you know, I had three three great years, and I look back on it fondly. So the transition from playing for the Generals to coaching. 
Was it something where you were you were comfortable that you had had enough and you were ready for the next step? And was coaching always on your radar? Yeah, I, I actually I always thought coaching would be on my radar. Where, when, how? Um, obviously, coaching a female sport it was not what I inspired to do. It, it just was an opportunity. Um, you know, it really came down. My wife Jenny and I we've dated for a really long time prior to that moment. Um, so the opportunity to get off the road after three years, I fulfilled a lot that I, I needed to do for my, for my own professional career. And it was time to settle back in. And, um, Kathy Killian was the, the coach at Holy family at the time. Um, she, she asked me to be an assistant. I, w- I was for a year. She stepped aside the following year. And before I knew it at 28, I was a head coach. Um, and, that leads us to today. 25 years later, I'm still a head coach. I'm still loving what I do. And uh, now I'm at one of the best schools in the world. So you spent, I think it was 14 years as the head coach at Holy Family. And you were dominant. I mean, I think you, you were the fastest coach in NCAA history to get to 400 wins, 407 and 61. What clicked right away with you about coaching? Because it obviously, you talk to some people, even people that have had a ton of success. And early on, you get to feel like they were swimming and they were just mm-hmm. kind of, you kind of hit the ground running. What clicked for you as a, as a coach? You know what? That's interesting because I get asked that a lot. I've been asked that a lot. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that's something you might have to, well, you would ask the players. I, I just think the relatability at times. I have a you know a natural feel that I, I feel that I do a good job in the game and coach the game. And, um, you know, and I really put a lot on the players. I hopefully I inspire them and. You know, I empower them. I've, I think I've done that pretty early in my career. It's about the players. It's not about the coaching. It's about giving them opportunities, put them in the right position. Um, but it did click. You know, I had a good coaching staff. I was actually trying to figure a lot of things out on the fly. You know, I just had started. Um, you know, I put some good people around me. I made some really great decisions with good people throughout my career, players-wise, coaching-wise, and um you know, we found success early, and we just continued to elevate from that point. How much does success breed success? I mean, you start putting 25, 26-win seasons at Holy Family together, nationally ranked or whatever. How much, and I don't want to say make it easier because it's never easy, but how much does that open the door for the next step as far as recruiting, as far as scheduling, as far as everything? Winning certainly helps that, but I think culture creates that. I think, you know, when you have a good culture, I believe winning will eventually come. They'll come. It will come in all sizes and times and all that. We, we established a pretty good culture pretty early on, and winning did help to that, to answer your question. You know, not only were we winning, I believe we were doing it the right way. You know, the kids were graduating, um, the experience was there, um, and then winning followed. But I think it was a culmination of both of them together. We had good talent. We created, brought in good talent with the right kids, and we created a foundation of success in the programs. You had years of dominance in your conference in the CACC when you were at Holy Family. And when I say dominance, you, or there were a lot of years you were beating teams mm-hmm. 80 to 4. I mean, mm-hmm. how did you keep kids sharp when, regardless of what you say, a lot of nights they knew that no matter what they did, they were going to win. But having watched those teams play your kids never took a night off. They never took an opponent for granted. How did you, how do you do that? Uh, you know what? I think that's the thing. If I look back on it now, um, that was, that I was most proud of what the program has done. You know, we were really talented the time I left there through probably my 
fifth year on, we had probably each team had five, six, seven Division One players playing Division Two basketball. So to your point, um, you know, these were driven. I think one thing I learned in recruiting, get driven, motivated, self-motivated players. You know, the scoreboard is, is not going to hold them back. We wanted to compete at the highest level. We wanted to respect the game. And there was always that next game we needed to get better for. But it was it was something It was a credit to the players. You know, they, they wanted to be the best. Each team I had up there wanted to be the best team. When we reflect back many years from now, you know, they inspired to be that best team in that era. And, um, you know, we so we, we won a lot of battles that way. Who is going to be the best? What are, what's this team going to do that the other teams didn't? And, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of competition within ourselves to be the best. So 14 years at Holy Family, we talk about the stats and, and the winning percentage. I think it was over 85, close to 88%. Is, do you hit a point where you feel like you're ready maybe for a different challenge or – does the opportunity in the Big Five open up and all of a sudden that turns your head? How does the marriage of Mike McLaughlin to Penn come together? Well, I think it all, you know, for me, it, you know, it was more a family decision and what I've decided to do and how I did, went about doing it. You know, Mike, I have three three great kids and at the time they were young and I was really important. It was really important for me and, and my wife, Jenny, not to move them around. I, I think stability for them was really important so I was, get, I, you know, I was fortunate because the team was doing really well. I was getting a lot of opportunities, you know, probably my last four or five years there to go at the Division One level and be a head coach. But it was just really important at that time with young kids to, to not uproot them. Um, when Penn called and obviously the opportunity to stay local, to be at Penn, to, to, you know, be a, a coach in the Ivy League, my eyes lit up. Um, and I was given an opportunity. Steve Bilski, um, you know, was the athletic director, and he believed in in the opportunity. You know, by giving me the opportunity, and I was just fortunate. I've never moved my children. My kids, we live in the same home. When I coach the Holy Families, I do at Penn, and uh, I think to me, ultimately, I, that was the most important thing. And um, you know, good players and good teams allowed me to have this opportunity. So you get hired at Penn. I think it was. 0809, if I'm correct. That's correct. Um, you inherit a program that had struggled mm-hmm. uh, the last few years. So after competing at such a high level and having so much success, how did you approach kind of starting from the ground and and building up? Because you only won two games that first year. How difficult was that transition? You know what I get? That's another question I've been asked a lot. You know, uh, how difficult was that first year? And I believe we won 30 games my last year at Holy Family or, or somewhere in that range and um, to come and win two. I look back and I tell them players that it was one of the best years I had at coaching. I, I, I know that sounds, but it, it was an opportunity. First of all, we were as a coaching staff, Bernadette Lukaitis, um, Carrie Cassidy took on the challenge with me. We were super, super excited to be at Penn. Every day was like Christmas Day. We got a chance to make a new way of doing it, to create, as I just said, an unbelievable culture and a new culture. And we won every one of them battles. We won all the controllable battles that we could win. Uh, we struggled as a basketball team. We didn't have enough players. We didn't have enough talent. But we learned a great deal about each other, and that group started the foundation of what we have now created at Penn. 
um, Sarah Bukar, Kate Slover, the two great seniors that we had that year completely bought into helping this day be better for the future, you know, helping the group that's going to come behind you and behind them. You set the tone on what it's like to be a professional every day. And they did that. It was challenging. There's no doubt. We won two basketball games. Uh, we lost 26 basketball games. But yeah, to me, I look back and that is one of the, the, you know, most ironic, one of the better years of my coaching career just because we had a chance to make a massive change in terms of a culture, and we did that. And I think the success we're having today is directly related to that 2009 and 10 season. Did your experience with the Generals help you in that situation? Just what you mentioned, win the controllable battles. And that's probably almost a bumper sticker for the Washington Generals. Like, do what we can control to the best of our ability. How much did that experience help you that first you know, year? No, it really did. You know, we traveled, as, as we just alluded to, we traveled the world. We were getting into hotels at, you know, four in, in, in the morning and have to be up the next day to play again. Tired, fatigued, but we had to find a way. That was our responsibility. And when we were not winning and things were not going well, we had to find a way. I think we always draw back, at least I do, on your own experience and what you were taught from from great leaders that, that taught you, right? And I would always reflect back to them moments, hopefully in a teaching moment. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think I drew back a lot of them challenges and dealing with adversity and how do you inspire a person to the right and left of you? And we did that, and uh, they did that, more importantly, and... Uh, it was, a, it was a great ride with that group. And it is now time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with University of Pennsylvania women's basketball coach Mike McLaughlin right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Jerry Gregg walks you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the radio.com app. And we're back with Mike McLaughlin, our guest this week on One on One. Mike is the head women's basketball coach at the University of Pennsylvania. So the interesting thing as you're building at Penn, talk about two wins the first year, then it's 11, 13, 18, you're you're getting better. When is the point where you really feel like this is thing is, is going to work and we're going to really break through here soon? You know, I think, um, you know, we had a – a great recruit in class, my first one, in terms of we had two two really good players and two really great fits. Um, but we developed, I think, their senior year. So my first recruiting class, as we're finishing up our junior year, their junior year, we started to feel it a little bit. Like you said, we just we won 18 games. That was my fourth year. Um, and that class, we brought in Sydney Stepanovich. She was going to be a freshman. Alyssa Barron was going to be a senior. And we had a lot of pieces at that point that could help us. And I think I started to feel that this group can be special. Um, and that group did go on to win their first Ivy League championship. Um, I always tell them the ride to the top is the easy part. It's the sustainability when you get to the top. It's more challenging. And the fun ride when you get to the top. And then 
from that point on to try to sustain a high level winning every year is challenging. And um, they have really done that well. But I, I started to feel with that group that that was the turning point, that, that we can do something really special here for a few years ahead. So that first Ivy League title in 2014, what is, what is that feeling? And you're going to the NCAA tournament and, and everything. What is, what is that like? You know, I think it was, for me, I, I was fortunate we were at Holy Family. We won a lot of championships, and, and not to take away from any of that um, because that, they were special. But this one, there was something about it. It was the, it was the moment. It was the ride to the top. It was a ton of hard work. It was going from literally the bottom to the top. And the win that day, we had lost to Princeton by 30 points the first game in the Ivy play, went through the league and won the rest of the games, and we were tied going into that last game. This is in 2014 when there was no Ivy League playoff. We were both tied. The winner would have won the Ivy League. And we went to Princeton that day, a really good Princeton team, and played the best basketball game I had I had seen one of my teams play. They captured the moment, um, and we ended up winning the game by 15. That was the shining moment that you would only, only hope that your teams would experience. And uh, that was one of the most special wins I've ever been a part of for everything I just said, a culmination of the ride to the top and the struggles to get there and the no one believing that could be possible to actually capture that and uh, watching them celebrate that day is something that I feel like it was just yesterday. That's how powerful it was. So that's one of three times you've gone to the NCAA tournament. All three you've been a lower seed. In all three games, you've had leads. I know the one mm-hmm. will probably stick with you, the the one I think it was Texas A&M that, yep. that slipped away at the end. But what is it like preparing for those NCAA tournament games. And I think on paper, people on the outside are like, oh, that's nice pens in, but Mm -hmm. they're playing X, Y, and Z. As you're preparing, what what is the excitement like that, wait a minute, we're not just here to have fun. We've got a chance here. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're in it to win it, right? I I certainly understand that it was a challenge. We were a 12 seed my first tournament. We played Texas. They were number five seed, you know, and, and walked in the locker room up seven. You know, so then everything changes now. But leading up to that, I wanted them to embrace it. I wanted them to challenge themselves. I wanted to, you know, look at Texas in the eye and compete like we did against anyone. But we were in to win, but we were also in to see, you know, to to enjoy the experience. I think we did both of them very well. Uh, We just came up short, at least in that Texas game and the other two games. But uh, we were were right there and uh, we had opportunity and hopefully one day we'll get back there again. How much is there, what is the emotions like after you battle and play so well in the NCAA tournament and you come up just a little bit short? How long does it take for the disappointment of the loss to give way to the pride and the the happiness of what the overall picture was for a particular season? I think as coaches as, as you know, and players, you just want to take that step away. Once you take that step away and reflect back, it's a long journey, right? There's 30 other games to look at. I think when we when we when we do it that way and you, you you're able to move away a little bit, you can really embrace what the team has done. In the moment, we're all extremely competitive people. We want to do the best. We want to win, and then losses are always really difficult. But when you when we step away, as I ask our players to step away and the coaching staff, I think we can look back and then we can evaluate our, uh, evaluate ourselves and see how well we did. 
one of the really neat things, I think the overall in following, I think in the last 10, 12 years, the overall Ivy League women's basketball has risen yep. top to bottom. But for years, what's really been fun is it's been you and Princeton kind of battling. And it's almost like it was when Fran Dunphy was the men's coach at Penn. And it was mm-hmm. almost every year, Penn, Princeton. How much do you savor that rivalry? And how much does that rivalry make you better because of not just you're both very good, but it's Penn, Princeton. And in anything, that's always a rivalry. Yeah, I mean, as you know, someone from Philadelphia, not really understanding how dynamic the Penn, Princeton rivalry is till I got to Penn. Um, I'll tell you what, my, I think it was my third year at Penn, um, Princeton was dominating the league at the time and we were far below them and they had beat us one time, uh, by close to 50 points at the pleasure. We had put that score as our locker room code that following year. And, uh, it, it gave us them every time they had to get in their locker room, they had to put the score of that game. And it also made every time they did that, hopefully it triggers something that we have a long way to go. We've done a lot of little things like that to get to the top, you know, and um, but as we were able to get to the top and I just talked about the, the 2014, you know, the opportunity, the last five years has been incredible. You know, we've won for the last six Ivy League championships and it's been us in Princeton um, but you alluded to the, the league itself. You know, when I got in the league, the Ivy League, there's 32 conferences, was the 28th ranked conference. Now the Ivy League's the 10th ranked conference, pretty consistent over the last four years. So the brand of basketball is is really high, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch the league grow, is watch watch our program grow. What is your favorite part of your job? Is it game day, recruiting, practice? What what lights your fire the most? The, the, the Just the interaction. You know, I, I, I think when you really love a place you're at, the types of people that you're around, and we could talk, I could talk to my players about anything. Um, I like to grow relationships, and I know that takes time. I love the coaching. I do. I just love the interactions with people. The coaching, the coaches down there, we're actually, tr- we're coaching student athletes. You know, we're able to, to watch them develop in the classroom, watch them grow in the community around Penn and also coach them and because and, and, they want to be great. You know, we're, we're, they're really disciplined, hard-nosed, team, team-oriented kids that we're coaching. That's the part I really feel like empowered every day. You know, I, I, I have a key and many coaches down there to get in the palestra. You know, it's the number two key. I have it every day. I walk in the back door every day in that building and – I'm excited. 11 years later, I, I, I literally feel the same way I did day one. I'm just excited to be there every day. And that's hard to do. Anywhere you're that long, I still have that same energy. It has not changed at all. And uh, that's what I love about Penn. How tough, and you talk about that recruiting class you had early on that kind of helped jumpstart, but how hard is it to recruit high-level basketball players at a high-level academic institution? Because I would imagine your pool's shallower than mm-hmm. a lot of teams that you're competing with. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say anything's hard. I would say there's challenges. I think there's challenges to every school to recruit. I think so. We have to look at it, I believe, in three buckets here. You know, athletically, can they play at the Division One level and help us stay at the top or close to the top in our league? Second phase is academically, can I support them in the university or academically to, to help them? to see if they're 
viable students at Penn. And the third piece is the financial aid piece. So all three have have to come together for someone to matriculate to Penn. So there's challenges in with each other. The first one is the basketball, which we enjoy. The second one is to see academically. So it takes a lot of vetting of each student athlete um, to see if they can matriculate to Penn. Um, So it has its challenges because of them three buckets, but you're also able to – they get on the phone with kids all around the country. There's no boundaries to our limitations in recruiting. Um, Penn has a, a massive brand around the country and the world. So people are excited to talk to you. And if we can continue to share our vision of what the university has and what the basketball program and the opportunities here at Penn, I think we're going to be in a good position continuously going forward. And final question, how much do you enjoy being a part of the Philadelphia basketball community? Because it's one like no other, I think, in the country. It's just cool. I, I, you know, I traveled the country. I was just in Florida the other night recruiting, and and just uh, I everywhere I go, I have a pen shirt on, so I get asked about Philadelphia and I get asked about basketball, and I'm just passionate to tell them it's nothing like it. It's hard to explain to people that are not from this area just the the, the camaraderie um, when you have six Division One schools all located within 15 miles of each other. That's unheard of. Um, we know all the coaches. We do feel like we have a good bond. Um, and it, it's pretty special. It's, it's rare. It's special. And I'm going to keep telling that story as long as people will listen because I do believe wholeheartedly this camaraderie, you know, is, is pretty special around the, the country. Mike McLaughlin, University of Pennsylvania women's basketball coach. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Matt. And that's it for this week's show. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Want to thank Mike McLaughlin, University of Pennsylvania women's basketball coach for stopping by this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.